Screenless. The TV drama is imagined. The work and the guests are real. Making a soundtrack. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Gareth. Opening scene and action. How are you? I'm well. I'm all right. Fighting the good fight. How are you? Yep, I'm all right. Mm, enough of that. <laughs> yep. Today we are heading to insert liminal zone jingle here. You've just entered the liminal zone. <laughs> yeah, track six. Yeah, track six. We're getting on in the album now, aren't we? Yep. This is the fifth one because we've still got track two, which is the titles to nail. But I think we'll probably end up getting the rest of the album done first and go back to that one. Yeah. We're really sculpting the sound now. It's beginning to sound like an album. Yeah, I think there's a definite palette there that we're, we're using and drawing from and augmenting and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so that will be coming up. And who is our guest today? Ah, well, our guest today is the uh, post-audio superstar, Lucy Mitchell. Ah, yes. She is experienced in all sorts from dialogue editing, sound effects and foley editing, ADR and voiceover recording, and full post-mixing in some cases. Yeah. And so uh, I went down to her brand spanking new studio to have a little look and uh, to spend some time chatting with her and we we skyped you in you did indeed yeah 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 it was quite nice so if you go to the social medias you will see a picture of (laughs) us all with dan on the screen there looking very goofy with his smiling little face my smiling little face look at his little face look at his little face how happy is he (laughs) uh how patronizing (laughs) Great. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up. So, shall we um, cue the cue the cue the music? Cue, cue, cue. Go on, go on, get up there, son. Cue <laughs> the music. Yay! Cue the music. We discussed our approach to track six on the last episode. Uh, this is going to be led by you. Yep. Basically, we talked about a combination of character one and two themes and clashing and building and all that. We did. We also alluded mildly to a track that was written for character two that we then decided wasn't right. Yes, elements of that we thought sounded really good and uh, we could easily use elsewhere. A little while ago, 10 minutes ago, I received a text message from you saying, drawn a blank on the spare track. Uh, i.e. using the elements from. That's right. However, importing track four and five into the same session has resulted in some interesting moments. Mm. Yes. Well, I thought, considering what had been how those two were created, i.e. I created track four, Mm. and then you reversed it and manipulated it and added parts to make track five, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if... I imported both of those tracks into the same session side by side and just played it to see what would happen. And there's quite a lot of clashing and stuff, but because you've got a major and 
relative minor. Mm. There's a lot of moments where actually stuff happens and that there was a couple of points where the melodies kind of take over from each other, ah. which is really interesting. And there's a couple of really nice exchanges where, uh, like I say, the melody, you'll have character one's stuff going on, but underneath you can still hear there's little bits of character two and then they'll swap over and stuff. It's really interesting. So is it a case of taking the individual instrument tracks and chopping those up? And, and placing, so a bit like a jigsaw. Yeah, we obviously need to, and as we discussed before, it needs to be a build. So yeah. there needs to be an underlying pulse to the whole thing and it needs to sort of build up a little bit. But it is definitely taking, I think, using, uh, putting some markers in in the session. Now, I think if we were to do this, I'm just concerned about tempo because those two are, are in the same tempo mm. and we would then have a third track that would also be in the same tempo. So I didn't know whether to start it off at the same tempo and speed it up or whether to just okay. from the off start it at a different tempo, whether that be quicker or slower. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a tricky question. Would keeping it at the same tempo not really move it on? That's what I'm that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering whether it's just gonna I don't know. You can you can stay at one tempo and it'd be fine. I mean mm. maybe it's just because we're used to doing to picture where the tempo jumps up and down so often just so that you can get your hit points in that we're yeah. kind of worrying about tempo when actually it doesn't matter because this hasn't got a picture. Yes, very true. It's more, the, I'm, I'm thinking more of the building the suspense, yeah. building the event. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right because this is where, this is why I've raised the question because I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But I also think you can do that with the arrangement as well. I was actually going to come on to that in terms of if you're going to keep the tempo the same, something's got to change. So you can't just yeah. repeat the oh, previous no. two tracks. It, yeah, it might be that we build melodies or develop the character themes yeah. for each instrument around what you've got there. If I start with a carbon copy of track four as the basis, I don't want to start because that just starts straight away on the old ivories. I don't I don't mm. want to start like that. I think I think it's got to lead into it. So I might take a, a note from some of the other tracks we've done and have like almost like a, an intro bit. A bit like track 5 seems to have a that feels like it's got yeah. a little intro before it gets going. So definitely have a, an easy way into it. But then I think I will introduce character 1 first and then character mm. 2 and as we discussed in the last one with them being it just sort of circling around each other. I think now talking about it, I think I'll keep the tempo the same for now. Yeah, okay. Because I, I mean, you've not heard this yet. No. So there are a couple of points that are really, really nice. And there's a couple of hits and things mm. that I think would be really cool and I could elaborate on a bit more. So I think it's just going to be a little bit of experimentation mm. just to see how, how I can get everything to sit together. And it might be that, you know, being kind of a Dr. Frankenstein and chopping bits up and putting it together it, with the view to re-recording those bits yeah. and making making them talk to each other yeah. better. Well, I've got, I mean, obviously I've got the whole session because I led uh, track four, character one. So I've got the whole session of that. So that should be really easy to chop and change and mess about with. And then I've got the stems yeah. for character five. So as soon as I've ad- identified mm. which bits I want then I can just import the stems yeah. and chop away. Yeah, that's exciting. When we talked about taking a character theme and then mirror imaging the, the other character theme and then 
having those clash together. And I just yeah. did not anticipate that we would do that so literally. I mean, we are li- we are literally taking yeah. the yeah. sounds from this and the sound from that and crashing them together. And I would never have in a million years. I probably would never have done that myself, actually. So it's another kind of collaboration tick that we've kind of come to this conclusion. Just fantastic. Yeah, I just think it's it's bouncing ideas off each other. And there's a lot to be mm. said for that, having someone that you can trust, that you can just say, well, do you know what? This is an idea. And it could be the craziest, wackiest idea ever. And they could laugh at you. But it doesn't matter because you've got that person or they might just suddenly go do you know what that's a really good idea try it yeah i I don't think there are any bad ideas when it comes to a blank slate no it just depends on where it goes and how it it's the context isn't it and and this i think is an idea worth exploring not having heard it yet (laughs) but i'm I'm going to no i'm going to you should you should probably have a listen It might all, you know, I could spend a day on it and think, actually, do you know what? This is rubbish. I'll, I'll just write something from scratch mm. and bring the themes in. But it's all part of the process. Well, definitely, I think, yeah, go go and explore. Uh, I'll have a listen. Yeah. And if I can offer anything else, then I will. But I think this is where we have that little ding to signify the passage of time. So. You've been busy. I've been busy, mm. yes. I did take the two tracks and have a go at finding what I thought was uh, was good, uh, what was interesting between the two of them. So I have done it. I have a couple of things that I would like to do, and there are a couple of things that I haven't got round to doing yet, which I will discuss with you, but I don't want to say too much. Mm. I would just like you to listen to it and uh, see what you think. This is great. How very exciting. Okay, here we go. Thank you. 
So. God, where do I start? <laughs> wow. So there are certain things that I would like to do. For example, the pads at the end yeah. just happened to be there because I moved them out of the way. So it was actually supposed to, with that sort of bizarre riser thing at the end, it was supposed to sort of end there. Yeah. However, what I would quite like to do is put maybe eight bars of those pads, which are just the pads from track four, mm. but down an octave. When the drums stop, before we get the build up, I might just put those pads in there because that associates... I don't think it's quite strong enough for character one yet. I agree. Yeah, the, the, the character two theme was... It had echoes of character two theme, and it, that was yep. very recognisable. Yeah, and the the character one theme, I took elements of it. Mm. Um, they're not they're, at this point; they're not mixed particularly high either. Mm. There are elements of it throughout, but I, I want to bring a bit more of that in there. The other thing is that I think it could probably do with um, some strings. I did attempt to put some character two strings in there. I did something where I, I stuck one of the themes from character two through a ring modulator and put it in there and, and thought it was really cool. But then there was just too much character two stuff and we need more character one. Yeah. So that's something I, so structure wise, I'd like to just shift that. I was a little concerned that it, because I took track five as sort of the basis mm. and then started messing about, I was slightly concerned that it was structurally too much like track five. It was my first impression was, are we just starting track five again? Um, yeah. So yeah. it might be that instead of starting at right from the start of that, maybe go 10 seconds in or something. So it at least feels like it's moved on. Yeah. I'll move the chords to the middle bit after the drum stop so that we get more character one. I'm also wanted to make the start a little bit more character one. Right. Okay. The way that I approached it was that character one is somewhere and character two is heading there, and then there's this confrontation between the two of them. Hence why character two was all sort of echoey and mm. in, in the background a bit. What we need to be wary of is that we're not just recycling and kind of moving on like that, but we actually need to, because this is a clash of sorts, it has to create a new thing, doesn't it? There needs to be some kind of... Yeah. I think it needs to evolve as well as recycle so that something yep. new needs to be sprouting out of these two things if i have a mess around with the notes thus far then yeah and have a look at i'm, I'm gonna have a look at changing the structure slightly and trying to make character one a bit more defined a bit more identifiable in there and maybe make the drums last a bit longer because i have kind of shoved character one in amongst that but i could i could just move the character one bit and um, extend the drums so there's a bit more space. So I had a go at the strings. Yeah. I added a melody line that sort of chased the other strings that you did. Yeah. You popped that in. That really sort of added to the um, added to the tension. You know, it helped you feel a bit more on edge. Yeah. We were keen to emphasise the counterpoint of these two characters. Yeah. And what you did then was to extend the final section of the track. This is something that you will get to know and love, I hope, about me, is that I can <laughs> never end a track. I don't know whether this comes from 
many, many moons ago being in a prog band where every track had to be <laughs> 59 minutes long. But I just can't seem to stop a track. So uh, I'll just get a little spark of an idea and, and then that'll, that'll be off. I'm off on one. So yes, I, I, did, a, I did a Dan and uh, added some extra bits to the end. To be honest, when I heard it, it just seemed like your brain had just carried on into the next track. Yeah. So it, it made perfect sense, but it didn't make sense to end the track with a, a very long kind of aftermath sound <laughs> after the riser that you've done at the end. Yeah. So having added all the extra synths and other such sound effects stuff to, to, to really sort of build that up, I could then hear the next bit. And you're absolutely right. I think my brain was just mm. going, oh, I know where we're going now. I know where we're going. Yeah. And so just kept on going. So yeah. we put that on the end. That was version 1.3. The other thing we discussed was that middle section then where we'd had those drums, all of a sudden just didn't seem to make sense. You know, we'd yeah. gone from, oh, that bit's not long enough, make it longer, to making it longer, and then having this bit, another sort of rise at the end. And then this bit came in. And as much as I loved it, I really loved when Character 2 came in, bang on beat one of bar one with the drums. It just felt really powerful, mm. but it just didn't really do anything. Mm. and just kind of plodded along. Yeah, it seemed a bit like a continuation of the character theme rather than uh, what we're trying to achieve here, which is the, the combat, the tension, and the change. You know, yeah. this is the liminal zone, I won't do the voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> rather than having those drums, we talked about maybe having the whole thing rise. So going right back to a very sparse sound and and adding in the frenetic having lots of mangled things coming in and coming out and delays and all the way through having these character one and two themes a little bit at each other yeah question and answer you know circling each other yeah so um yeah so what i did was i removed the drums but that was not before i'd passed them through several different guitar pedals and things just to of get of course of course <laughs> yeah uh, just to get different kind of textures and things in there. And uh, so there was a couple of delays that have got freeze functions on where you'd, I'd hold the button and then I'd move the time of the delay so that it would, gave sort of um, slightly off and jarring kind of textures to it. Um, and then there was a pitch shift pedal, which has got a feedback on it. And if you get you just get it right, it starts sort of like howling like some sort of weird banshee. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I used that, and that that became this as a as a really nasty noise at the end of it, and that was that was all from that. So that kind of worked. Yeah. Removing the drums and having those sort of fade in and build up. Uh, I added a couple of extra synths and other such things because you know you can never have too many too many synths on a track. Should we have a little listen to how that changed? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Thank you. 
think now we have the the right structure, the right sound. It's uh, we're getting into the finer points, aren't we? Yeah, the the, the really uh, the minutiae of it. Um, part of that was keeping that low bass, the low bass that was before that section suddenly disappeared. Yeah, I just well uh, f- through the build up, it actually stops through the build up. There's a, a yeah. different bass thing that comes in, but there's an arpeggio before. And I just brought the arpeggio back. It's just, yeah. it's not actually an arpeggio. It's its an arpeggiator. It's just actually playing one note. It's just playing the root note. But I put that in underneath and that, that cured that whole issue. The next thing was the character themes. Still just sounding a little too polite as if, you know, something awful's going on, but they're just having a cup of tea together rather than <laughs> uh, possibly at each other's throats. So, yeah, that was the next thing to have a go at. So... I put character one through uh, Space Echo, and then I haven't done anything for character two yet, so I still need to do that. From around the two-minute mark, it just struck me that that was the point where everything changes, and being in the liminal zone, as in, you know, this is the event that changes everything, Yeah, it seems like both characters need to have changed. So if there's a way that you can change character two theme as well... If I was to have it doubled, maybe an octave below and mildly distorted, something like that. Although sometimes... Who doesn't like a bit of mild distortion? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes when you pitch stuff down like that, if the mix is already quite busy, um, it Mm. just gets lost and it's really difficult to get it to to sit nicely. So maybe... um, You could always try above. I could try above. I could also try, yeah, there's um, Soundtoys Crystallizer is great. You can do sort of um, pitch shift stuff, but it's also a delay as well, so you can reverse it. So that's an interesting thought. The other one I thought about was sticking it through some sort of auto-tune thing, but really forcing the notes into a small scale so that it it really latches onto them and and he's really quite aggressive. That can be uh, that can be interesting sometimes. Sometimes actually just just making something slightly different. So um, having the original there, but uh, bussing it to a separate channel and really EQing that channel so that it it's you know almost a, a, an obvious example of this is the sort of telephone effect. So if you put something like that in and then balance the two, yeah. um, I've got a great old um, spring reverb. That distorts nicely, pass things through that. In fact, mm. piano sounds great through that. So that's that's something else I might try as well. We haven't done a single nerd alert for this section. Oh dear. Oh dear. Have we not? Maybe we have. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know anymore, man. <laughs> Too many nerd alerts. To be fair, this is probably the most we've spent on a track. Most time we've spent on a track so far. Most involved we've been. Yeah, definitely. In- really thinking about getting it right. Because I suppose before it's been, let's just establish the sound, so that could be anything. Yeah. But now we've got to really look back and go, well, does that relate to that? Does that relate to that? And if not, how can we change it so it does? Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and also looking forwards to, you know, changing the sound to something. The events happen, so what? how does it sound afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Kind of looking backwards and forwards at the same time. So confusing. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're there. I think we're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely been worth the kind of backwards and forwards and and spending the time thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a lot of fun actually. Okay, so you're going to go muck about with your piano 
theme two, character theme two. Yep. Okay. I think that's the um, last thing to do. I think so. And then maybe we can have a little listen through to a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, there'd be quite a lot, a lot of, it of it to listen to, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly give a, a good chunk. Cool. Okay, to your elephants. Layers. Well, that's like uh, Toots Super Amazeballs. I think we've achieved, you've achieved, that change in... Tambra uh, and tone. tone. Tambra. Yeah. Cool, cool. So, uh, Very good. track seven then. Track seven, straight on. Hang on, before we do that, let's have a little listen. Okay, track, track seven. seven, track seven, come on. 
Broadcast Hotshot 2013, WFTV Mentee 2015 and BAFTA crew member, Lucy is experienced in dialogue, sound effects and foley editing, ADR and voiceover recording and full post-mixing. Her credits include BBC's Top Gear and EastEnders, Amazon Prime's The Collection and National Geographic's David Attenborough's Rise of the Animals. Lucy Mitchell, welcome to Making a Soundtrack podcast. Hi, thank you. So Lucy, uh, how did you get into the industry and why post-production? When I was younger, I guess a lot of people who do my job say that they were musicians. Most sound engineers I've met were musicians at some point, but usually have gone into it because they used to, you know, mix and record their bands or something, which I didn't necessarily do. My dad is in outside broadcasting which is, you know, when they go and film sport, usually he'll sort of take a truck full of cameras and everything. Um, And he used to do the Brits and things like that. And so I've always sort of had an interest in TV, but not really known which area. I didn't know about post-production. I didn't know all the areas. And I kind of, you know, I used to kind of do work experience with the cameramen and hold cables behind them and thought maybe I want to be a cameraman and all that. And decided I didn't want to do that when they asked me to do cricket. And I was like, "Mm, I think I'm more interested in the Brits than being a cameraman mm. um but i because of you know because of the skills that i had i was very good at maths and i was very good at music i was kind of thinking well maybe going into some sort of sound area i didn't want to be a music composer like um like you guys because i i was well i wasn't very good at composing to be fair um i didn't want to be a performer because i just wasn't good enough and i was insecure and get nervous and all that sort of stuff and i just didn't know i didn't want to be a music producer and i couldn't figure i didn't want to not love my music and i was just really torn and didn't know what to do um and then when i was i guess 16 going into a levels we have to do work experiences through school like you know just in the summer i think it is after exams and they were going to put me in something really boring i can't remember what it was a library or something my dad was like that's ridiculous i'll sort something out for you in the tv industry i was like cool so I did work experience in a post-production company called Blue, like ages ago, it's where, um, on Old Compton Street. And I went into the different areas we did. I went into visual effects and and went into production and went into offline and tape ops and stuff. And then when I went into the sound into the sound studios, I, can't, I just found it much more interesting. Instead of said, well, can I just sit here for the rest of the week? This is much more fun. And like, you know, the guy was making, a guy called Rich Martin, who I then worked with at Envy, which is really bizarre. He was making uh, the hold music for the phones at Blue, which I thought was really cool. And then he had to do voiceovers and and he did lots of sound design for commercials. And I just found it fascinating. And because there were so many different areas to his job, I felt like that wouldn't be boring. And because I was helping him come up with ideas and stuff, and I felt like with my, I guess, my musical ear, potentially it could be a good thing to do. However, I wasn't 100% sure when I went to uni that I wanted to do that, so I didn't go and do a sound engineering degree or whatever because, you know... If you do such a vocational degree and then you don't do it, it's quite hard, transferable skills-wise with a sound engineering degree. It's quite... I mean, obviously, you have a good techie brain or whatever, but it's quite hard to then go for a normal job, I imagine. I don't know. I've never tried. So I didn't do it at uni, but I did music where they had a sound engineering module. But my dad was sort of saying, if you want to go into the industry, degrees are all well and good, but if you don't have work experience, you won't get looked at for any job so he was pushing and pushing and pushing for every single summer holidays you know every time I had t- when I wasn't working or at uni he was like you need to go you need to go and do work experience and I you know I was lucky that he had a few contacts but most of the time it was just sort of me emailing people saying hi can I come and just watch you work for a bit obviously paraphrasing but just kind of trying to get some work experience because none of my friends did it no one I knew did it um like I said luckily dad 
knew some people so I kind of got the idea there and then yeah when I left uni I sort of had decided yep this is what I want to do and applied for a couple of jobs on like production base I think it was a music jobs UK yeah. I think that's now called music UK jobs I don't know they changed uh, yeah. the name of it yeah, I don't know. Like um had a few interviews and I got a trial day at Envy and at the end of the day they sort of kind of went had a little interview thing and said yeah and I started as a runner there making tea for people eight hours a day and then from there you know they they were full full post-production set of pictures and everything but obviously I knew I wanted to do sound so I was mostly in my lunch breaks and after work sort of training in the machine room at that time it was still tapeless it was also uh, it wasn't it was before tapeless so we were like tape ops and doing you know duplication and getting all the dats and d88s and all that sort of stuff and laying back to tape and all, all the kind of things they don't really do anymore um so was, you know training in that training in the studios trying to learn everything because obviously most people in the kitchen with me had a degree and had done surround mixes at uni and all this and i was like i don't know what five one means i don't know what a wav is i don't i was just so overwhelmed by not knowing anything mm. um maybe it pushed me to work harder because i was like oh god i've got to learn so much just to get to the same level as the in terms of knowledge base of the boys that yeah so I kind of just worked worked my ass off really to just kind of learn everything I didn't have you know the podcasts and the Pro Tools experts and all that at the time none of those blogs they didn't have all those blogs when I and and articles and stuff when I was they might have but they weren't as prevalent in the industry so I had to learn everything on the job and then just yeah just work there and work my way up there before leaving that's fantastic so You've got a lovely new studio. I do. How did that come about? And uh, talk us a little bit through your setup. When I went freelance, uh, I went freelance in 2014, I think, 2015, something like that. Um, originally, it was partly because my mum my mom wasn't well and I wanted to help my dad out a bit more because Envy were great and I was changing shifts and, it, you know, they were being brilliant. But there's only so many shifts you can swap with people and, you know, things like that. My dad was still full time um, before he took some time off. But... Um, once I started looking into le- going freelance, I then thought, actually, do you know what? I can do drama, I can do computer games, I can do animation, I can do so many. I mean, obviously, Envy do do a bit of everything, but they mostly do factual and documentary. So I, I went freelance and I was sort of working from home and doing my thing. But obviously, when I was living in flats, you've got neighbours and you can't play things that loudly. And when you're Dala getting especially, when you're sound effects editing... You could make it really loud, but it's not like a necessity as much as I would say for dialogue or for mixing. And it was always that kind of, I can't, I don't want to, especially in the summer, you have the windows open and you don't want to be really annoying to all your your (laughs) neighbours. And also, you know, yes, you can use headphones, but I personally, I wear glasses and I find it quite uncomfortable to wear headphones eight hours a day, eight to 12 hours a day personally. I don't think it's necessarily good either, is it? No, it's probably not very good as well. It's very concentrated. I mean, I've even now got one ear out, like it's very concentrated and insular. So, you know, when um, my husband and I were looking to buy, I sort of said, I would love to have, look for somewhere. I know kind of beggars can't be choosers when you're buying a house, especially as our first house. But at the same time, if we can find somewhere that has, you know, a summer house or a garage or something that I can work in and I can just put some soundproofing up, then that would be really useful. And then we found this house that had um, a garage at the bottom of the garden. And I was thinking, well, that's detached. That's brilliant. We can just convert that. And then looking into, because it was basically just bricks, I think it was just concrete, it was concrete slabs all connected with metal. So actually it wasn't really, convert to convert it, we would have to make it a lot smaller just to make it, I guess, habitable and then also soundproofed. And the space would have been really, really tiny. And that would not be a problem. I know lots of people have small home studios, but the problem I had was 
you know, we'd managed to find a house that would, somehow was a lot cheaper than the budget we had, but that was good because then I kept some money aside for for this. But I thought, you know, even basic just converting without building anything is really expensive. And so I need to justify spending the money because otherwise it's just basically moving my spare room to the garden for X amount of thousand pounds. And it's just, it's quite a lot. It's a lot of money just to be in a different room and to not disturb, but not wear headphones. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of seemed a bit, I was kind of going, oh, is it worth it spending all this money? So I said, well, why don't I do it so that I can add more services to what I currently can offer or at least know that I can make more money because of it. So then I thought, well, my best friend does a lot of voiceovers. She does pretty much every time I turn the television on, I hear her voice. She does every single advert, promo, continuity, everything. I mean, she's, she's you know, she's brilliant. And she she's a very busy, busy voiceover artist. And she's constantly having people saying, can you do a reel with me and blah, blah. So we talked about maybe doing voiceover reels, thinking we'd split the price between us so obviously we wouldn't get a huge amount each but you know with the usp of having her as a director that would be quite good and that's just a bit of extra cash on the side because you know she has loads of people asking her for voiceover reels my husband works at drama schools on the weekends so he'd have loads of graduates who might want a sort of first reel so we thought okay well we'll do that but then and so i said well if i'm going to do reels we might as well offer voiceovers to sort of low budget telly or short films whatever but the issue i then had was well, if I'm going to offer uh, voiceovers, I'm going to have to make the building a bit higher spec in order to have it soundproofed and not hear. You don't want to have a voiceover and then have someone mowing the lawn. Mm. I mean, obviously, I can <laughs> still ask my neighbours not to mow the lawn if I have a voiceover, but it was just kind of, we're in a quiet area, but yeah. I was like, I'm going to have to spend more money. I'm going to have to make a higher spec building in order to offer these other other services, basically. So it ended up being this small project of, I just want to not work in my spare room to, okay, I'm making a high spec studio which needs to be soundproofed and not let any sound in i'm not too bothered about the neighbors because i'm bottom of the garden in terms of sound going out my i'm at the bottom of the garden and there's just roads either side of me and there's an alley behind so it's not too much about the noise getting out and it's not like i'm doing mixing a drum kit or whatever Mm. but it's more about the sound getting in for me and um i didn't i was you know looking online trying to find how to soundproof a studio i mean yes there's so much online but they are also different they all contradict each other as well they're all like don't do this do this and obviously i'm quite like i guess i'm quite active on twitter and linkedin and the amount of people who would comment on stuff telling me i'm wrong about Mm. stuff all the time and it got a bit got me down a lot especially okay this is what i'm doing and they'd be like we shouldn't do it like that and i'm like okay it was just it was it was so difficult and I didn't know what I didn't know where to start there's a metaphor for life <laughs> I didn't know where to start because I was trying I wanted to cut costs by I got a builder in rather than I looked at those you know you can get garden soundproof garden studios that you essentially yeah. pick one and build but to get the size that I got here the size that I actually ended up with if I bought that essentially off the shelf it would have been like 75 grand and I was Ooh. my I have spent way less than that. So I was like the cheapest thing for me would to would be to get a, a normal builder in rather than a sound studio builder or to buy one of those buildings, especially because I have a weird shape. It's not this isn't a rectangle. It's a great shape. actually. Yeah. So I did that. But then they didn't know anything about sound stuff. So I was going, they were going, oh, maybe we could do this. I've looked on the Internet. We can. And it was really just us trying to figure out mm. how to do this. And I was at um, the media production show. When I was about, when I was looking and I was sort of speaking to builders, and I spoke to a guy called Ben Neems, who I don't know if you've heard of him, but he he runs Resurface, who sort of resell um, like mixing desks and stuff. But they also he also started a thing called Space Crate, 
and they've they've basically got these old um what are they called uh, contain uh, cont- ship container things what are they called shipping containers shipping, shipping containers, containers. <laughs> yeah. yeah so they've made them into these portable um adr i see these i think they've only got one or two but these a- portable adr where they go and take them onto set and they and do that so he was like oh well when we did that you should speak to a, a guy called howard who um runs studio wizard he basically designs all the the soundproofing and the acoustic treatment for sound studios and mm. i was went yeah but how much is that going to cost me mm. I went oh well, not not that much and i was like but how, but how, yeah but in the grand scheme of things how much is that going to cost yeah, me because yeah. obviously it's like i've got the build and then I, essentially i wasn't using a because it was a small project the builders like we don't need an architect so i was in my mind of not spending any money on that and then obviously i was like i'm gonna to have to spend money on the studio design but i would say it was the best decision i ever made contacting Howard because he just i gave him the measurements and he and what i needed and what i was expecting and he drew me designs and in terms of the shape he kind of gave guides on to the builders and how to do everything he then obviously did all the acoustic treatment even gave me a whole other separate thing of if you don't want to buy the acoustic treatment like the panels this is how you make them this is what you should make them out of he was fantastic and he was great you know i could call him and a long conversation on the phone and i could email him with any questions and he and he was brilliant and um we didn't do everything exactly the same as his just because you know this is my first house and i'm kind of thinking okay, obviously I'm going to be here a while with the studio, but I might want to eventually sell. So I need to make it slightly more domesticated than the plans necessarily had. Just like, for example, the lights, I I, I wanted spotlights and that's not what he had suggested for sounds. And I was like, I'm willing to make the compromise because although it makes it less, I guess, good or less professional, at the same time, my studio is still a much higher spec than most people's home studios. So I'm happy to make that compromise. So there was a lot of going through the studio build and going this is what Howard wants how much extra is that going to cost because obviously like in general this ended up being much bigger than my original budget obviously it's like getting married all over again <laughs> 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 um, and so there's a lot of compromises but he was he was fantastic it really he really was great especially because you know I've had so many issues where I'm just like I don't know I've had so many stressful days going should I be spending this money you know especially where my career is at the moment I am mixing a bit but I'm not mixing a lot. So is it a waste of money getting such a high spec if I'm not doing lots of mixing? But then looking forward, where will I be in five years? It's like, I don't know <laughs> where I'm going to be in five years. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, he helped us with the whole planning permission thing. We've built, you walk, you come into the studio and walk down some steps to get the right height. I think it's two and a half metres or three metres or something. If you if your building's any higher than that in, in your garden, you have to apply for planning permission. Now, that doesn't seem like very high, but as soon as you add any sort of soundproofing in the ceiling, it brings down the yeah, internal yeah. height. And, my, you know, my husband's six foot five. And, and then, your roof actually moves up. Yeah. You? And so our, our ceiling, um, we can take some photos, but my ceiling is all designed by Howard in terms of for reflections. And I, I mean, you'd have to ask him exactly what it does. But it's <laughs> I know it's sorted out flut, flutter echo, I think, potentially. And, I, and it's also the shape's not symmetrical so that everything so it's all designed like really it's really so much physics gone in, into it mm. so it has been brilliant it's been difficult we've had lots of problems with water proofing because apparently this area is very damp and so i had to basically get a basement pump system put in uh which was not anticipated so the first original quote they gave me for that was 11 grand and i just burst into tears because i was like I, I won't be able to finish the studio if i have to spend mm. 11 grand and um Damn. You know, the guy he came to put the pump in said, I've done two story basements that have not had this much water. So at least I know it's not just 
the builders cutting corners that they were like this is not normal so I've you know had a lot of fallbacks with that which means I haven't managed to build or do things that I wanted to do but or buy the equipment that I wanted to buy but in general it's been great and now that it's we've got a few more ceiling panels to put up I keep forgetting (laughs) and uh, I need to paint some stuff in the porch so whether it's client ready is a whole other thing but it's it's mostly there and it's been great it's been so nice working coming to work commuting to my back garden it's been good and it's nice I can actually play things really loudly I can play you know I'm I'm dialogue editing a series at the moment and I can play it loudly (laughs) which is I don't it's good because I don't you don't want to miss anything any of the sort of small clicks and tiny little sounds that I've got to get rid of I can play it all loudly in here and and it's good and it just means that when I do any sort of mixing I can just do it properly in here hopefully what it might sound like in a proper studio I guess that's the intention <laughs> that's a, a good point I think sometimes having had several home studios and having done various degrees of treating them and faffing about and this that and the other it never really feels like a proper studio and mm. I think this is you know friends and family will come in and they'll be like wow look at all this gear wow can you do this can you do that god wow yes yeah, spaceship I get that a lot especially yeah. I've actually got a, a semi-circular desk that um, my middle brother built for me it's got the desk in the middle and it all kind of spreads around and everyone calls it the starship enterprise <laughs> when they come in but yeah that you never feel like it's a proper studio yeah. there's always something I don't know about you, I've always got stuff that I want to change. I mean, when we moved into where I am now, this was four years ago, and I had a job on. So we moved in on the Thursday. On the Saturday, I cleaned the room that is the studio, and then I just moved everything in it Mm. and set it up over that weekend because come the next week, I had to be working. And I haven't actually done anything since. (laughs) So at some point... When I've got the chance, this is all going to come out of here and I will actually decorate and sort yeah. it out and the window needs replacing and all the rest yeah. of it, the lovely stuff that you have to do in a yeah. home studio. Mm. But, yeah, it never feels like a proper studio. There's yeah. always something that you've got to add or tinker with or change or it yeah. would be... I think this is obviously, um, on a side note, but gas, you know, the whole sort of gear acquisition syndrome is terrible. <laughs> Whereas you think that if you get this one piece of gear, that will be it and then that will be sorted and you'll be happy and the setup will be perfect and of course it never works like that i've rearranged my desk i mean i haven't got a lot of equipment but i've rearranged my desk about 10 times just because i'm like i don't know how it all fits i mean i've got a massive desk it's like a two meter desk but i was like i don't know how to fit it all in and partly because i'm trying i want to do it i want to have clients here i want people to although i can pre-mix for tv here you know if i do low budget stuff i'm i we don't need for tv anyway this should be final mix ready so the yeah. studio. So mm. I, apart from when I go and do a film, I'll obviously need to go and final mix in a bigger room. But for TV, I can ha- I should be able to have clients come here and review here if they want to. So I've had to make it look nicer than I maybe would have if it was just me working with you know or my husband using the keyboard. Like we had to, had to try to think about how it looks and that there is always that essence of well if I get these speakers it will look better or if I get any kind of thing. No, you know I really wanted an S three you know mixing thing, but yeah. I don't need it. Especially if I'm not mixing that much at the moment. I've got a little artist mm. mix. I've got something that functions. I don't need the S3, yeah. even though it looks better. I don't need it right now. So. Well, I was going to ask you to talk through your setup. But actually, if we take a photo afterwards, yeah. we can put that up on the social media yeah. to show off your lovely, shiny studio. It will studio. be the, um, really nice. the first 
photos because I've been not revealing the photos. Ooh, I've been okay. doing like photos. And if you notice, all my photos are like of h- half a wall. Like <laughs> uh, partly because some magazines are interested in doing a feature on them. Um, I don't know. I need to find out if and when that's going to happen. But you can definitely take some photos and then I'll let you know. Whether World exclusive awesome. to our two listeners. <laughs> Um, but it's, I mean, it's set up really because I'm yeah I don't have lots of analog gear or anything like that. I have yeah. my audio interface, which is a Focusrite Scarlett. What is it? Eighteen i twenty, which I can have. A, you know, I can do a couple of microphones into that and a couple of speakers out of it if I want to. Um, I have an artist mix for when I want to actually mix some faders, which is useful. Actually, I think I got it. I think it's bef- it was Euphonics before it became Avid, so it's really old. I got it yeah. second. Almost most of my stuff secondhand, because or um, I got um, an Avid dock for mixing, which I haven't used yet. So it's one of those things where it feels like, is that a waste of money? But I know that when I'm mixing, I'll find it really useful again. That I got as B stock. I think it was returned. So I've been very yeah. much like, although I, I'll spend tens of thousands of pounds in the studio, but I'm being really stingy with all my <laughs> equipment, partly because I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay full price just because. Mm. You know, if I can try to cut corners, like, you know, the whole build, I was trying to make things cheaper. You know, I painted most of the painting and then got someone to just make it look nice at the end. Um, Speaker-wise, I'm not going to reveal that because I need to do my article. Oh, what okay. What speak- at, the moment, at the moment, I've just got the ones I was borrowing. So I've got some PSI A17s, which is what I was borrowing to do my test um but i need to write the article of which ones i chose Great. so that'll come um i've got some really good really really good um speaker stands actually i've forgotten the name the brand of them they're quite hefty stands they look they look a lot nicer i think than a lot of them but they've also they come with these iso acoustic um stands on top of them like that, that separately if you bought them i've seen them for about 100 pounds mm. but they yeah. they just help i'm not a physics major i don't know these things but it just it helps apparently yeah. Helps the sound. Yeah, I, I use um, <laughs> I use Genelex, and um, they've got a uh, they've they come with a stand mm. that is one of these sort of acoustic decoupler. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got that behind me. <laughs> not 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 just me. This ones I borrowed, so it's just randomly sitting behind me. Yeah, <laughs> they're really good. So um, and then what else do I have? I have my extra wide, ultra wide screen, twenty one nine aspect ratio screen, oh, which. Wow. Dan and I have been drooling over things like this. Well, this one, again, I got this really cheap on eBay. I say really cheap, it was really expensive, but compared to some of (laughs) them. I mean, the reason I got this originally was because I was like, oh, well, I don't need... I liked the look of it, and I was like, I don't really need two screens. And I find when I have two screens, I have, yes, I have my plugins on one screen. That's fine. But the other screen I find is not big enough for if I'm mixing, especially. I like seeing what's coming up. You know, if I've got everything scrolling, I like seeing what's coming up so I can get my fingers on the faders quickly. So I thought, well, I'll just get the wide screen and then I'll just do like, I don't know, two thirds of the screen will be my Pro Tools and the other side will be my plugins. And then actually working on it, I was having my Pro Tools the whole screen and overlapping with plugins and it was just becoming a bit tricky. So actually, mm. much to Phil's despair, I bought another screen. Again, it was one of the cheapest I could find that was actually had good reviews. They could have gone cheaper, but I got a little HP, like I think it's 21 inch, just a normal screen. And that's basically for just my plugins. My plugins and things like that are on there just just because it's just easier so <laughs> trying to cut costs by having one screen and then ending up buying a second buy screen and the yeah. first one was quite <clears throat> expensive so it actually didn't really end up being cheaper um <laughs> i have an axiom uh axiom 25 for any sort of midi stuff i don't really do that much midi to be honest phil probably uses that more than i do but i'm wanting to use it more because i spoke i went to um an event recently where they talked about doing foley footsteps 
with MIDI controllers. Right. And yeah. I found that yeah. fascinating because obviously rather than just using a sound effect, it'd be nice to use Foley, but we can't all afford to record Foley footsteps. So I found that really interesting. So that's something that, although I haven't used that, the Axiom in a very long time. Have you heard of um, a company called Crotos Audio? Yes. Because their plugins, I've not tried them yet, but their plugins have lots of these, again, you know, being able to do it with MIDI mm. and stuff. They can generate all sorts of weird and wonderful things, yeah. which uh, obviously are designed for post. But I wondered how, you know, how I'd be able to abuse them for musical. You could definitely abuse them for musical things, things yeah. more so. I, yeah, it's those kind of things um, that I want to explore. But again, so until I've got time off, I haven't really had time to just play with it. You know, I've, I've been working. Yeah. So uh, Dan and I are making an album. And uh, the conversations we're having are about us learning about different parts of the production process mm -hmm. and uh, the different people's jobs uh, in that process as well. So I was wondering how music features in your editing. How do you go about mixing that in? Uh, what do you consider when you're mixing music? What do you feel that composers should consider when they're composing for maybe for some of the dramas that you're, you're, you're editing? The main thing for a composer, I think, especially would be communication with the director and the sound team when, you know, before you start in the sense that partly there's sort of, you know, there's always sound design elements to composing, I find. Well, it depends on what kind of music you're doing, obviously, but you, there's often sound design elements. So there's obviously a conversation of, well, is that going to be, are we going to, do this emotion in the sound or we're going to do it in the music and you know from from your side of it it's you know obviously i imagine you're always sort of establishing who's gonna go for it and, and as dan was saying earlier if you have an explosion yeah are you both gonna be loud and crescendoing and stuff or are they just going to completely clash and you're going to have to you know sack off the music um so i think the communication early on between the teams if possible obviously with tv as, as an editor for me i often will get pulled onto something you know when it's already been in post-production and editing so i won't have a lot of those conversations but i know that you know the supervising sound editor music editor or the post-production supervisor will have these conversations when i'm doing documentaries and factual television i would be expected to i do sort of all the editing i do the dialogue effects and i edit the music and that's you know when they get say one of your tracks and they'll cut it up to fit the picture and stuff so i i would do a lot of work with the music then in the sense of the amount of times they'd start it start the music on the scene change and then they'd have like a big say say you have like a symbol at the end or a drum or something at the end and they want that on the scene change but obviously timing wise it doesn't work yeah. so there's always like do i fudge an edit underneath something that's loud because I know I'll be quiet or do I make, and you know, often they'll make it, it will be on a beat, but it will be on the third beat. You'll have like the, the next bar starting on the third beat rather than the, and although it, all the beats are in, it suddenly goes out of like yeah. kilter. So there's a lot of that. And I, I personally, I mean, I don't know how good other people are, but I find when I'm doing that, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm good at this because of, I guess, because of my musical background and the flute playing and the piano and whatever. So there's all of that that goes into editing when we've already got the tracks composed and they've mixed it. And to be honest, you have music editors and high-end dramas and films who will do that as well. Mm. Sometimes you actually go, right, I actually have done it where I've made them in time and then actually 
slowed it down or sped it up ever so slightly. Not a lot oh, for okay. you guys to notice. Don't worry. But just oh, literally like just for like a fr- like so it's like a couple of frames because you'd yeah. be surprised. Someone goes, "I was only like three frames out." I was like, "Yeah, but you'd be so surprised if you have a big." I mean, it's, it's like when Phil's doing stuff with our dance routines. If we do a big end and then his band's a couple, just a little bit late, mm. it just looks a bit wrong. Even if it's three frames, you would. I mean, not everyone noticed, but some people would. So documentaries and and factual, I do a lot of that, um, a lot of that. And then when you're replacing the international versions. For drama, I usually, I don't, I personally don't mix dramas, um, or at least not yet. Um, I mix indie films, so I'll take that in consideration. But for, um, for the drama, when I'm editing dialogue, I don't usually listen to the music that much, but I do pay attention to where it is, especially for when I'm, say, marking up ADR. So if I'm if I'm listening to people's lines going, can we hear what they're saying? Does it need to be recorded? If I can see that the music's going to be really loud and someone's... If I solo their line, their line's not got any weird sounds on it and it sounds fine, but they're really, really quiet or like, un- like they're saying it under their voice, they're mumbling a lot. Yes, I might be able to hear them if there's no music, but if there's really loud music, you're going to have to push his dialogue up or her dialogue up. And if they're whispering or speaking softly and we're playing it really loudly, that will sound weird. So I will have to take into consideration what the music's doing before I start thinking, do we need to re-record this or ask for a different take and things like that. So with dialogue editing, although I don't listen to it that much, I do, I am aware of it and I will have a look and see where things are hitting and things like that. I mean, technically, some people sort of say, oh, you can hide a bad dialogue at it underneath the music and things like that. But with what I found, even in low, lower budget things, not just drama, I find that you never know if a director decides to cut a piece of music. Mm. So if they cut a piece of music and you've gone, I'm not really going to edit that very well because it'll be hidden. And then suddenly it's not hidden. Then I'm going to get a, a call from someone <laughs> saying you didn't really do a good job. Well, you probably won't get this. They'll just ignore it and not hire me again, probably. But when there's certain series that you've done before, like I've done Grand Design so many times that I know pretty much they're not going to suddenly get rid of music. Not that I would do it on that, but I think when you know a series and know a director, maybe you can do that. But I would say as a rule of thumb for editing to always think, yes, there's music, but maybe edit it as if there isn't. It's kind of how I try to to do it. And the same with sound effects. So with like... When you've not got a long time on on, on factual television, they go, oh, don't worry about putting atmospheres, say, intel, atmosphere, background stuff, if there's music. And that's all very well and good. But if they suddenly cut that music and then someone stops talking and it's dead. Yeah. So I always say we'll cover everything with atmospheres regardless. And then for drama sound effects with the music, I pay attention a lot more to the music because I don't want to spend a long time putting in sound effects that are going to get completely swallowed up by the strings or get covered up by brass like you know I if I'm doing a sort of sound designy effect say like a whoosh and I've done a really cool I guess quite low frequency whoosh and then you've got all these strings you literally won't hear it so either I will just use a high frequency whoosh or just use a sort of less airy stringy whoosh and something more substance or I will always double them up so I'll have a low and a high so that the mixer can either choose to use both or just one, or just push, you know, it's, the the music is, is very often, for dramas, composed for the picture, you know, they probably haven't chosen library music, it's probably been composed for that thing, so they are more likely to want, they're not going to want to ask the composer to change it, they're going to want the sound effects to change, because we come in after you guys, essentially, well, at the same time, but ours will be yeah. put in, so I kind of try to pay attention to the instrumentation, and sort of pitch and things like that and also if you've got things like 
if you've got any, I guess it's all the sound designy stuff, if you've got any sort of tinnitus or any of those sort of things where there's like a tone, any sort of tonal effect, yes, you don't necessarily have to make it in the same key and sometimes it's really cheesy if it is the same key, but sometimes if it's so clashy and it's like a semitone out or something, it will sound horrendous. So yeah, although yeah. you don't necessarily have to make it the same key because that could be really cheesy, it needs to work with it, otherwise they'll just get rid of your sound effect and that will be a waste of time. Um, interesting. I would say probably a similar thing with if you've got lots of really clacky drums or like loads of st um, like pixicato strings or any sort of like staccato stuff it, you know you could spend loads of time putting in sound effects that just will get hidden in amongst those things so it's a case of just being aware of what's happening in the music obviously we'll be working with the temp usually be working with the temp score but hopefully it won't be that different to mm. the final i don't know how yeah. what the stages are but most of the time i've had the final stuff it's either they've just recorded it with live instruments or they've just toned down the bass or they've you know they yeah. usually it's not that different um and then film when you're mixing i guess when you're mixing the music the music obviously then becomes really important because i'm mixing the music into it so i it's, i do find it interesting because the composers obviously i mean i don't know do you guys compose where you'll do dynamics according to the picture or to just according to... Yeah, I, I tend to try and keep out of the way of dialogue yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, just making, and taking into account instrumentation, everything, you know, because there are certain instruments that will just, you know, if, if you're playing something and you're right in the middle range of the piano, it's roughly around where most people's voices are. Yeah. So yeah. it gets really in the way. I tend to think of dialogue as a lead instrument. Yeah. So you, nice you can only focus on yeah. so many things at once. And if somebody's talking, that's the focus. You don't want like an um, oboe solo. So at, at, most, <laughs> at most you're looking at a bed or some underscore mm. uh, where you're, you're trying to highlight the most important thing on the screen, which at that point is the dialogue. Mm. I've mixed two films recently here where the music was very important to both of them. One of them was a documentary about uh, aid in mostly Africa, but... I think just all over the world. So when we're in these different countries, they were trying to. The composer obviously had to do. One had like quite a lot of African drums, and one had a. When it went to India, it was like had some sitars and you know, all that sort of stuff. So it was really important that we could hear that. Otherwise, it was a waste of <laughs> a waste of their time. But then it was a good documentary, but it very very much wasn't like an entertainment documentary. It was very very much information. So it was a lot of a lot of dialogue. So there was that whole like clashing thing i want i was trying to basically really over dramatize it in any gap possible because i couldn't push the music up as much as i really would have liked to just because especially if you had someone who was a really soft speaker some of the um some of the older women had quite deep voices but they haven't got that strength that men have in their low register and so i was like i can't can't really push too much up because you would just lose her um so I found, I, I find, I mean, I find mixing, for me, mixing music and sound effects into anything I find really fun. Probably because dialogue's quite hard to mix. I guess it's, I don't right. know, I find yeah. dialogue really hard to mix. But I just, especially with film, though, for me, I can do so much more dynamic range on films than I can in television mm. that I love mixing music into films because I just, I, I mean, I can probably show you, I haven't got any clips of it, but... I just, I just find it so, I, especially when it's a really, really good composition because you can just really hear all the instruments, you know, and some, some instruments, until you're really loud, you can't hear them as much in the mix. And it's nice to hear, for me, to hear everything. But I, yeah, when I'm, when I'm mixing stuff, I kind of, I'll have all the stems, but I definitely do a lot of mixing on them. I don't really, as so I was asking you how much you guys do, I don't 
really keep them the same, same level. Apart from maybe under dialogue, as you say, if they've done like an underscore or like soft strings, I'll keep it kind yeah. of roughly the same. But And I would find with ex- experienced composers, I've not had to sort of suddenly dip like drums yeah. or anything, so that's fine. But I do find that I'm going up and down a lot in scenes where there's not as much dialogue. And um, I, yeah, I love mixing, maybe because of the musician thing. I really yeah. love mixing the music in films. It's my favourite thing. Not so much television, because I find that really hard, because you've got to find that balance of entertain. They're not there to have this glorious score. You're, they're there to watch the TV programme, like in terms of factual stuff. Yeah. But film is much more, they want to embrace the music. What advice would you give to your younger self or someone wishing to start a career in the industry? Someone wishing to start, I would say, do lots of work experience. Especially because these days, I mean, even in my generation, I kind of started 10 years ago and I was still very much an anomaly not having a degree. I was very much, I was the beginning of the generation where everyone had a film degree. So there were people like me who didn't, I mean, I had some people who were 18 and had no degree, but most people had some sort of training. Whereas I would say more these days have film, sound engineering, film production or whatever. But if you don't have work experience, you probably won't get looked at, even with the degree. Well, at least I know with some companies anyway. I don't know about the smaller companies. Because work experience, A, it shows you've got an interest. B, you can learn about the industry before you go into it and decide you don't like it. Because you do get people who start as runners and then quit because they just don't like I mean, especially, you know, with our kind of thing, you guys must get it you know, 8 to 12 hours yeah. a day minimum, maybe longer if you've got a deadline. And... People, I'm not saying that that's good and that's not, you know, I'm now that I'm working from home, it's a lot better for me because I can manage my time a bit better. I can take the dog out for a walk or whatever. But it's it does help seeing the in, insight and it shows that you're dedicated to working in the industry because, you know, so many people want to work in film and telly. And I think, you know, they need to somehow, they need the dedicated people really, which is, you know, a shame when you don't earn very much money, but it's the way that it works really at the beginning. Um, so work, lots of work experience. I would say I I do kind of wish I'd done a degree in it just from my own confidence side of things, I guess. Like I felt very intimidated by all the boys who knew stuff. I guess maybe also I was younger and I was the only girl. So in the kind of machine room thing. But yes, we all had to learn the tape op stuff because they didn't teach that at unis. But I knew that as soon as we got into the studios, they would just go much. You know, I didn't know how to do anything. They'd all done surround mixes and mm-hmm. done all the produced songs and whatever. I, I would like to have done a degree in it. Um, if you don't do a degree, I think these days with the podcast like, like this, learning about the industry. So I go and do a lot of talks at universities. Not a lot. I do some talks at universities. And although I teach them about the physical job of stuff, like how to do stuff, it's more about how you do the job in the sense that what do you do first and what it's like working in the industry and who, a bit like this kind of thing, who talks to who and what, you know, you can learn these. And I think those kind of things are important to learn. So listening to podcasts, doing a lot of reading. I mean, I share a lot of content on Twitter, which is how I think I got the majority of my follow- following was because I just, I don't write that much. I'm trying to write more for Protoss Expert, but, you know, I find that those articles, I wish I'd had them 10 years ago. So, yeah. you know, all the listicles of 10 things that you need, you know, whatever. But just in general, all the information that is out there, is so useful that you need to just take advantage of it, I think, because there will be people who have read every single thing on the internet and it's a hugely yeah. competitive industry and everyone everyone wants to do it and everyone will undercut you to do it. Mm. So you need to have something that's going to stand you in a good position and I think knowledge is that, I think, is the key. Knowledge I mean, is power. Knowledge is power, exactly. We've touched on this before. That's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily... I was never one of those 
people who was like you know boys and their toys and playing with loads of sound designy things and getting loads of analog synths and doing all that it's, I've never really been like that but perhaps if my if my introduction to industry was different it may have been whereas I always knew I wanted to do something in like the industry ish yeah. I just didn't know what like I did work experience at Sony BMG mm. with PR like I wanted to be in music or TV I just didn't know which like the entertainment industry because my mum was a dancer and stuff and um I just didn't know what, whereas I think if you came from this, you know, loving sound and playing with sounds, that's all good. But I wouldn't feel the pressure that if you haven't done that, you won't get anywhere because I never did that. I never really played and did all my own thing at home. I'd learned on yeah. the job. I'd practiced yeah. a bit at home, I guess. But I mean, I was at work, you know, you're at there for getting paid for eight hours, but you're there for 12. As a runner, you want to get home and just. I personally was like, I mean, I might do a bit of reading if I was if it was now, but I probably wouldn't play with a lot of things unless it was essential for that part of my job. Like I was trying to get into track lane, so I would maybe practice track lane, but I wouldn't practice something unless it was relevant. Relevant. Yeah. I also would say that going, and this is the question I get a lot at universities, is obviously each their own, anyone can do what they want, but I would personally not go freelance directly out of uni. I would go into it, if you can, go into a company because A, you learn a lot from other departments. I find a bit like what you're doing, knowing what other people do helps you do your job a lot better. Um, Absolutely. And communication within those departments and getting good relationships. You know, I had when I got promoted, um, when I was in the machine room, I was head of machine, I got head of machine room, so I had a very good relationship with the post-production producers at Envy because I was the person who had to oversee everything. So then when I got promoted, they knew me really well and they would always be like, oh, we got a really good job and they would give it to me because they trusted me and they knew that I worked hard. So that was always useful. And just in general, if you go freelance as a sound editor, someone who's say, you know, I don't I don't know, they're doing a drama, they're going to look for a sound editor. They're not going to go, they might say, okay, you're a graduate, so you'll be a bit cheaper, but they also want good quality. So you'll be against people like yeah. me. You'll be, I mean, I'm against people who are more experienced than I am in drama. I've, you know, I've, I'm, I do drama, but I haven't done as much drama as I have done factual stuff. And so I'm even feeling that competition in terms of not being the go-to person. So th unless it's a low budget thing or they want, they really like you and want to give you a chance, you're probably, get, they're probably going to choose someone more experienced. And, you know, I got meetings in these companies because of my CV. Most people ask me about Top Gear in my interviews, which is really funny because it wasn't necessarily the hardest job I've done, but it's the most one of the most well-known. One of the hardest jobs I've ever done or the most proud I've ever done was the British at um, NV, which had loads of like battle scenes. But no one's heard of that. Mm. So having a CV and IMDb got me in the door a lot of places, which, you know, students wouldn't have. So I would always say if you can go into a company, I think that really, really is such a beneficial thing on many levels, not just getting the credits. Um, and then I guess the choice of do you go for a small company or a big company because small company you might move up quicker but then if you know you're going to go freelance you might not have credits that people know whereas I moved up slower but then I left with like Top Gear, The Voice, David Attenborough and all these things and had people went they knew that I worked hard and worked professionally because I came from somewhere like Envy that is very well thought of in the industry and it helped it, you know my experience from Envy is you know is invaluable just just working in such a high quality place that's well respected you know put me in a good position and it gave me a very good work ethic that you might not get I mean my work ethic at home is I'm so I can't I can't work the I can't work like I do it when I go into companies I'm trying to get better I still get the work done but I'm still here I mean I send emails at midnight everyone always comments on it because I'm like oh I, I haven't done I haven't done nine hours yet I need to and I you know it's terrible and I think the work ethic you get from a company especially starting out if you can get used to it 
is better, I think, than going freelance personally straight away. If I, if I can just drop in with a very, very bad pun. It sounds like sound advice. Sorry. <laughs> it's a great pun. Not the first time I've heard that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I'll pretend that it was. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm nothing if not predictable. <laughs> Lucy, thank you ever so much for giving us your uh, okay, so- window into your world. Sorry for the waffling. That's- I talk a lot. Oh, no. no. I don't no, see no. human beings very often. That's probably why. <laughs> I'm in my own little world, especially now working in the studio. So It's funny. This is something we've spoken about there's several themes that pop up a lot one is diversification Mm -hmm. which you've also touched on and the other one is that it's quite a solitary thing you know there's a lot of being by yourself for long periods of time i have uh, a note on Twitter, well, it was a tweet, it's not a note, but it's in the note section, from a nice gentleman called Tom Strachan. And Tom is uh, an RTS award-winning editor and Baltimore Ravens fan. I believe he must have worked with Steve Hughes from last week, uh, last week's guest. And Tom says, definitely give this a listen. I've not worked with many people who have a better knowledge of film and TV score. Steve's a great director and a top bloke too. Well worth your time. That's really nice, Tom. Thank you very much. And uh, we thoroughly agree. We got that from Steve. Yeah, couldn't agree His more. knowledge was uh, oh, way better than mine, anyway. I don't know about you, Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way better than most people, I think. Great. Thank you, Tom. And I believe that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know. Links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us, too. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit that share button and recommend it to someone else. See you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Laters. Laters. See you later, oscillator. Oh, oh, just (laughs) no.